0: Like there's a fun, massive difference between a manager and a leader. Like mm-hmm. There's not even the same thing, I would say. You know, I, I always say to people in my teams now, I'm not a very good man. Like, if, like in terms of the man like the management is not a strength for me.
1: Before we get into today's episode, we have a word from our sponsor, Mindset Shift. Have you ever told yourself, I don't think I can do this? They will never go for it. I'm not a good enough leader. The things you tell yourself that hold you back. Imagine if you could remove all those boundaries just by holding them up and actually looking at them, figuring out where they come from and how to tackle them. At Mindset Shift, that's what we do. We help innovative and ambitious leaders that want to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, for their business, for their culture and for themselves. We help unlock their growth through actionable coaching, workshops, leadership development programs, or speaking engagements. We create foundational people over profit environments, the kinds where productivity and innovation soar, culture, inclusion, and equity sit at the heart of operations. Are you ready to step out the box and take your organization to the next level? Contact us today, at www.mindsetshift.co.uk, enjoy today's episode. On today's episode of Everyday Leadership, I have the MD for UK and Ireland of Innocent. He has worked in the FMCG sector for I think it's about twenty years holding various senior leadership positions for organizations such as like nestle mars green mills he is an exec coach as well working with some great clients that you have heard of like just bc morgan stanley just to name a few he is also an, an advisor to um startups and scale up uk businesses he's a chair of board of trustees as a non-exec and he's the founder of salt I, that, that's, that's just some of what Sam does. <laughs> how are you doing?
0: I'm all right, thank you. But it's uh, yeah, no, I'm all right. Thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for the introduction. The the question is more like, how enough did you manage to fit all of that in, as opposed to doing it well?
1: It's more, yeah. There's probably you just reminded me of some calls I have to make, <laughs> just to make sure. <laughs> you know, on top of that, on top of that, I I've forgot the wrong. most important. But you know, father husband you know oh, handling man. those yeah i've got to exactly that that well. major responsibilities <laughs> that you hold down as well well thanks for having me this has been a
0: long time coming and we connected a long time ago and we then reconnected and the reason there was a big gap between the initial connection and the reconnection it was me not responding to you and i am eternally sorry <laughs> because i should like But it was, but I think that it was was all about timing timing. and it was all about timing. So it's really good to be speaking to
1: you. I I think that was, that was definitely the end of of our journey was, it was at the right time that we did. And since like last year we've been talking and back and forth and phone calls, emails, WhatsApp, all of that. And it's always been like great, great conversation. So I'm glad to have you on the platform and you know what? I, I always take it back with my guests. and I never quite know where I'm going to take it back to. But for you, I thought we should go way back to coming from Nigeria to the UK. And what was that change in cultures like for you? Yeah. it's uh, it, uh, uh,
0: This is something that I will say, but then it's something that I've realized that it's particularly important, especially when I see how I try to relate to, other black people, young black people. So I came over to the UK when I was in 1989, born in 1982, came over to the UK in April, 1989. My, my dad was working for the world health organization or doing some research for them. And he was a, micro, he's a doctor of microbiology by trade. He now runs a, a church. Now he's a pastor. And my mum was also a, a scientist as well, an industrial chemist. So we, I you know until I was 6 years old I lived in Nigeria my mum's Igbo my dad's from Edo state Yoruba and so they only communicated in English so even as a 6 year old in Nigeria I was just I didn't I spoke English that was all I didn't speak with obviously an accent we came to the UK to Sussex University where my dad was doing his that research his work and my mum was also working there and so I went. I didn't go to any like. There was no going to a city centre or an urban area. I I was the only from the age of six. I was the only black person I ever saw. And that was like we were the only black family around. In fact, after maybe a few years, there was another black guy I remember at primary school. I was like, "What? You've taken my? <laughs> uh, this was my role." <laughs> so I've just always so from the age of six, when we moved to to Brighton. I was, yeah, we, I was in a, in a very white environment. And from that age, I was used to being in that environment. From that age, that was all I knew. So we went to a majority white church. All your friends are white. And my full name is Samuel Olua Kbelumi Akinliyi. And I was known as Balumi in Nigeria. But as soon as you yeah, come over here, go to the playground, what's your name? Balumi? They're like, what? balloon what are you talking about so i went home and i said no from now on i'm known as sam so from the age of six it was the time i started trying my best to come i would say conform fit in and i guess that's what we do when we are migrants yeah immigrants so job number one conform fit in get to a point where you are able to stay and be and feel as comfortable as you can be so that is so gone back a few years. But that was kind of my my, my start. And I don't remember too much of Nigeria. I do remember some of it. We haven't gone back much since. It's something that we're from a very big, wider family. But it it was very much a focus. My parents and my two younger brothers. Yeah, so we settled. After a couple of years in Brighton, we settled in Orpington place called Orpington, which is in the southeast London or Kent, really, just within the M25. And that's where I sort of grew up. Seven different, I think five to seven different primary schools as we settled in and then moved to a secondary school called the Priory School. I didn't pass the I didn't pass this super selective grammar school exam so I went to a school called the Priory School which was um it's not this let's say it's not there anymore it's been Mm. rebranded it was a great time it had its hairy moments. I'd learned a lot wasn't particularly academic but I've got very academic parents and they kept me on the straight and narrow even when I was you know getting to a little bit of trouble I have to say and then when my GCSEs were decent enough I went to the school up the road that my brothers were already at which is the grammar school called St. Olaf's Grammar which is actually a big moment when you think about culture i went from being a someone who loved football playing football twice a week playing for the school playing for a club to then going to the grammar school who was like football we don't play football really we play rugby i started playing rugby when i was 17 18 years old and moving schools and changing sport what that does to your you know in terms of what They call, I don't know, social mobility yeah. or access to different networks. It's a different, it was completely different. And yes, yeah, so I ended up again, just did all right by A levels because I'm not particularly academic, but did just enough and somehow got into Loughborough where I studied banking, finance, and management mainly because of my, because it was a very practical thing. I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. Banking, business stuff, that sounds good. Year in industry. And I started playing rugby and I was getting the hang of it. And Loughborough is obviously a very sporty uni. So I just carried on my learning how to play the game that I would carry on playing for a bit. So, yeah, that's me up until university. And, yeah, very grateful for those turn of events. But as I look back, I realise the significance of some of those turns and how different, therefore, I am, even though I'm a black guy, to another black guy who might have just gone to a black neighbourhood with all black friends, with it's very different we are all very, we're all very different and just talking to more and more young black people particularly you realize oh wow we we look similar we are different and how do we recognize and celebrate our genuine individuality and how do you bring those things through so something i've been thinking about a lot and that's a lot of what
1: sort is about.
0: So yeah, I'll, I'll pause there because I could carry on, but I didn't want to do the whole <laughs> autobiography thing. I've done a decent job of that.
1: Nah, like, you've done a really good, really good job. And I think you've touched on a number of points there around how we are all very diverse and we all have our own unique backstory. And the more that I guess people take the time to really understand people at an individual level rather than just, Oh, you're all black. You're all the same. All of that, which actually separates people. The more you can start to I guess, I always say, build bridges with other people and build relationships with with other people. Because when you listen to describing your the differences of going from playing football at a younger age to going to playing playing rugby, that's a whole different world that you stepped into new language new culture new frame of reference i'm sure even from some of your older your some of your friends from when you were younger again different world to them so you're you're consistently changing and adapting what were the i guess the major lessons you learned in that period that has have helped you to see world differently to other people
0: I wonder how natural so is it a natural trait to be able to adapt or is it just something you have to learn like a survival mechanism you know so when you say that yep what did I learn well I learned to you know you change your name you realize that if you are if you're a guy in particular and if you can if you're decent at sport and if you can do you know you're decent academically you're all right but I always say, but what happens if you're not good at sport or you're not good academically? And if you're a kid at school, a boy particularly, unfortunately, wow, you know, that's a challenge because those are the two boxes you have to be in. And you realize there are so many more boxes in life, to your point on variety and diversity and stuff. We don't celebrate those at school. I'm like, like, my first team or second team, who gets picked first or picked last in the playground and who gets their grades. It's still in boxes. The other thing I I think I've learned, or I'm grateful for, is my ability to be used to different situations, but adapt and connect to people and appreciate and empathize with them. Whether it's, you know, we live, or my parents are still living in, in, in an area where there is a real mix, whether from gypsies who I played a lot of like football, like our, our school football team. I'm um, like my club football team was travellers, lovely people, and been able to connect and engage with them, and still wave at them when I go back home and see them. And then you've got the people that who are playing rugby that you uh, at the public schools and the private schools and the schools, you know, the Whitgifts that have peacocks literally walking around the schools. And I think the importance of really appreciating people's differences without judging them i still have to work at it that's something i've learned quite a lot and being able to meet so many people from different backgrounds and connect with them and know that actually this is what i can bring in you know what do i bring to each of those groups and being comfortable with that i think that's really important but at the same time i think okay are you good at fitting in is that your strength or is that just like who are you (laughs) If if you've spent all your time fitting in, who were you before you had to do all of that? That's something I think about quite a lot. You know, what are your natural strengths? Or maybe those are the strengths you're meant to have. We're meant to have those experiences so we can build bridges and connect with multiple people and encourage them to spend time together. So that's something I think about. And I think about the fact that maybe some of my friends will find it quite hard to relate to some other of my friends, you have a big party where they all even talk to each other i'm not even sure they'll probably go into their separate bubbles
1: which is something i think about as well some deep introspective (laughs) questions that you're you're asking yourself because actually pulling the layer back and and being like "Who, who am i before i had to do this or who am i if i'm just consistently fitting in what are my strengths those are not easy questions because they can reveal a lot of I guess insecurities that some of us have or have masked or have used different means of vices to cover over so is that something that you find easy to do then to have those conversations with yourself
0: in 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 a coaching capacity is really interesting I think there's an insecurity in asking the question like because what if I'm not good enough like what if I'm not so So a a good example, you know, I've had to think a lot about what are my strengths and there's different ways to do that. The Patterson Center, an amazing company that really focus on that, what your strengths, what you what's your purpose. And they talk about the fact that your talents, so what you're good at naturally and also what you're passionate about, two things, your talent and your heart. You put them together. That's like your purpose. And I think that does require some deep thought and i think a lot of people even very accomplished people find it hard to answer that question what am i genuinely good at my strengths irrespective of my context so yeah that's something i thought a lot about in the last particularly sort of five to seven years i think a lot of people do that you know what am i here to do you know is this all do i want to stay in this job you know you know or do i want to do something else what so i think that is a question that a lot of people have and i certainly
1: had it as well yeah Before we move forward, I want to ask, what was it like playing sports at international level, especially with your brothers as well? Uh, yeah, I didn't do it that much,
0: but it was quite good fun. It was, so again, i have still learn. I've been injured quite a lot and I played sevens. I ended up playing a bit of sevens and I remember I got married and I said, like, I'm never going to play. Right. I, I've retired from rugby so many times. Like um, <laughs> just uh, this is such a s- silly sort of stupid sport. And um, I got, <laughs> it was getting married. I thought I'm going to get in shape for our wedding. And I got in shape for the wedding, and then the honeymoon, my brother calls me and says, "Sam like do you want Nigeria playing for Nigeria in the African nations Cup?" and I was actually in decent shape, and I thought oh, wouldn't it be great to play sevens with my brothers, you know so three of us on a eventually in some games on a on a seven man team, and that was great. You know, and it's great to be able to say you you've done it and sometimes you can put it on your CV saying you've been an international rugby player. Now, it's no England.
1: It's whole, it's, it's, no it's Nigeria. So. It's no
0: <laughs> but, but we had a really good team and that's the thing. There's so many like Nigerian like people of Nigerian heritage that have been highly successful in all kinds of sports because of their quite their physical capabilities, like I guess genetic like genetically from that area. But it was a really good side and we had great fun. Both my brothers are very good, they're better like players than me, but it was great to be able to play to to play with them. And yeah, it's just a good experience. It's probably the one time I started to really reconnect with a group of black people. You know, other than okay, you go to a black like my parents' church is, is, is mixed, but I was like, wow, this is an opportunity to really connect and, you know, and, and, and talk to people and see where they're from and where their heritage is. So that was great. That was great. Didn't last too long, but I'm glad, really glad I did it. Really glad I did it. I'll never touch a rugby ball again,
1: though. (laughs) You're done. You're you're completely done. (laughs) (laughs) I think Nigeria and rugby are not two words. You hear together quite a lot so when i was like actually no that's that's still a very very great accomplishment It was like, actually i played rugby for nigeria yeah it's right. something that again like you said it separates you and sets you apart
0: yeah no it's it's good and, and nigerian rugby when you think about the size of some of these guys and the athleticism you think it should make sense it should make a lot more <laughs> sense than it does it should make a lot more sense but yeah it was fun
1: so you rose through the ranks mm. in the FMG sector to some senior leadership positions in some of the world's biggest organizations. Mm. What was that journey like for you? Because it's very easy. We were talking about before we came on to see the, the highlight reels. Yeah. But we wanted to understand what that journey was, either the challenges, the positive highlights. What yeah. was it like?
0: I just It's one of those things when you, I look back now and, and it's, it, it's a fantastic experience. I look back, particularly post-George Floyd, I think, actually, yeah, I probably d- did have some really cringy conversations. There are elements that I think if you weren't black, you wouldn't have had to face into. So I can talk about a couple of funny examples of that. But ultimately, from a professional perspective... It was great. I started at Nestle, biggest food company in the world, runs like a Swiss watch. You know, if you want to go and learn how to functionally really run something, you know, we're not trying to grow really quick. You're kind of trying to sustain. That's what I learned how to do. And I met my wife there and I worked in sales. So I did my year in industry and supply chain. And I realised actually sales is more akin to me. You know, just um, I'm an extrovert. I like I, I can I like to think I connect well with people, and you know I like the hustle of business and selling. And I remembered my year in industry. My last couple of weeks, going up to the sales director and saying I want a job. And I was just actually encouraging a young guy in the sort program to say the same thing. He was like, I, I'm, you know, "If you build relationships, you you need to ask the question. You need to put yourself out there." And then when I came back, yeah, I just, you just work. I think in my twenties, you just put your head down and you work. And I just worked and you know, with no dependence, like, we, like I do now, I know you have them as well with, I was living at home for a bit, then moved out. It was a case of just, yeah saying yes to everything taking opportunities when they came my way learning and looking at people that you aspire to be but i think at that point still you're trying to be what you know people want you to be to get that promotion so it it was not about actually how do i bring my best self i was like don't worry about that (laughs) what about my best self like who cares about that like if i'm applying for a job i just want to go on google do my research if i was applying for a job i'd be like what does shopper want me to be shopper what do you want me to be i'll be that and you realise that that's kind of what you end up doing from a lot of times your whole career. So I, I would say it was great. I was so Nestle was great. General Mills was a, was another good experience. Multiple businesses to look after commercially. Hargan Dars, you know, brands you really recognise. But I loved being creative commercially. I loved the negotiation element of it. I loved the selling part of it, and I just like connecting and maybe coaching and supporting leading people. So I, my first, I was a line manager for the first time when I was twenty-three, and that was a really important like thing to me. Like being a good line manager, being a good, and eventually probably a good leader. That that was really important to me. So I I got those kind of responsibilities quite early on.
1: When you look at your, you've been a line manager then, to how you see like leading now, is there a lot of, I guess, mistakes you made then or?
0: It's an interesting. Well, there's there's managers and lead, like there's a fun, massive difference between a manager and a leader. Mm-hmm. Like, there's it's not even the same thing, I would say. You know, I always say to people in my teams now, I'm not a very good man. Like in terms of the man, like the management is not a strength for me making sure I'm having the right conversations at the right time. Let's get all your appraisals in management is you know, management. You can often see as looking after a resource, like a group that's giving you, and making sure you get the most out of that group. Whereas this idea of leadership, setting direction, moving that group in a direction, leading with vision and with purpose. Very, I think they're two different things. You know, you, you, there's so many stories of people that are great leaders terrible managers or the other way around like fantastic managers but in terms of leading set vision direction and when i think about those early days it was about actually i just want to be a good manager because you want to tick it off at 23 i'm like yes i'm doing it i'm gonna do good appraisals and actually i want that i want that person to really like me and really tell everybody that i'm a good leader and a good manager um and, and i think that's a really interesting thing and then you've got engagement surveys and I remember I was working for one company where engagement surveys was a really big thing. They It should be a big thing everywhere. But the pressure I was under because I thought I was a good leader to get great engagement survey results. So to say that my team were loving it and you know, there were times where I didn't get great engagement survey results. And I thought, oh, that hit me so hard. I thought, oh, that can't be... So what am I if I'm not good at getting good engagement survey results? Well, I think that transition from... Managing individuals to leading, I was probably leading a lot more even when I wasn't managing anyone. When you're leading an agenda or you're trying to influence commercially, or why you're trying to say to a business, maybe let's make this commercial decision, it wasn't about people who reported into me. It's about how do I influence and lead positively, irrespective of whether they're a direct report or not. They're two very different things.
1: Yeah, no, they definitely are. But not a lot of people make that distinction that they're two different things. Mm. I think a lot of people think, and people still hold on to, one of the reasons why this podcast started, in the first place, actually people still hold on to that whole leadership is, it's title and it's leading people and it's having people in, actually, like you just said right now, their leadership is, doesn't mean you have to have people on, underneath you. Like how do you believe yourself? How do you show up? How do you show up in meetings? How do you learn how to influence, communicate, present in the, in the right way? All of that is all leadership. And I think that's where a lot of times people just, I think, I'm going to say sell themselves short. They're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not a leader because I, I don't have X amount of people that are in my team. And I'm like, okay, but it doesn't start with that. You start before you get the team. If you can get that element of it right, when you get the team, it's a natural transition as opposed to just learning when now you've got a yeah. team. Uh, but some people don't, maybe they can lead and they never get a team. Some of the most
0: influential people in, I remember in certain companies I've worked for, they don't have a team necessarily, but if I said I want someone to lead an agenda, I'll go to them first. And if you said, Can we give you a team? they'll say, No thanks. I don't to have to manage anyone. <laughs> no thanks. I don't want all that. But they are leaders in their own way. They're the ones that people, you know, in a meeting, people will listen to, they will look to for certain things. And I do think you can lead from absolutely anywhere. Like you don't have to be super senior to be a leader. You should, you can show leadership. I would look to people who are, I look to my team. Yes, I'm a relatively senior person, but I'm looking, I would look to my team for leadership. I want their opinions. I want them to let me know what they need from me. Where do they want me to be to help them? You know, I think that's really important. I don't know anything. They know everything. So yeah, and I know that's that sounds a bit you know, it might sound counterintuitive, but I think leaders are everywhere. Leaders could be a timing thing, Shockwave. It could be I need you to lead for this moment, I need you to lead for this situation, mm. it could be that.
1: So how do I grow my leadership and my influence? as a semi-individual working in an organization, and I want to do, be exactly what you described, be that go-to person that people can rely on and call and be like, actually, that person is not leading a team, but they know how to influence. Mm. Or I know when I want to have a task in mind, I can give it to them. How do I become that person mm. and develop that skill yeah. set? The, my first question, if anyone, and
0: I've been asked that kind of question before, is like, why do you want to do it? Tell me why you want to be a leader. Like, tell me, what are you trying to lead? Where, you, where are you trying to lead me to? And I've got that. I often have that question is what's your reason for doing that? Is it ego? Is it, I uh, just like leading people or like mm. uh, what kind of a leader are you? There's a lead There are so many different kinds of leaders. So I often would question, I often ask the motives. I want to understand the motives because some people just want to lead because they want to be in a position of power. And I don't know for me. No, like I wouldn't, if someone says, are you a leader? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm in a leadership position. Not everyone might <laughs> look at me as a leader. Like that's kind of down to the people who are being led genuinely. If, if someone said to me, yeah, I, I'm a leader technically on paper, but if I'm not genuinely leading people and people don't want to be led by me, I wouldn't regard myself as a leader. I'm a manager or someone's been given a position of authority. So what I would say to someone who is saying, oh, how can I be a leader? It's OK. What do you want to like? Why do you want to be that? Why do you want to do that? Have you got a direction or have you got a belief in the way people should be led? There's a, like you've got a deep conviction that people should be led in a certain way or treated in a certain way. Is there somewhere you're trying to take people? Is there a how, not just a where you're trying to take them? Is there a how you want to take them that you really believe in? That's what I'm really interested in. And then the question becomes, all right, how do you, if I buy into it, how do you do that? How do I equip you or how do I help you to do that? I think the word leadership is often used, but I'd rather not use it as a, oh, this is a function. So I now need to be a leader. It's no, what do you want to do when you're there? What do you want to do with that responsibility?
1: Mm, that's so true. I like that question actually. It gets you to, to think it also requires, because ego is one of the biggest things that comes up time and time, time again. And if you're already having that question, which gets you to think about, am I doing this for a self-serving purpose? Am I doing this for other external reasons? Then it gets you to frame things. But one of the things I've also seen come up is with leaders is pressure. Handling pressure as a leader is one of the hardest things to do. And in the organizations that you were leading in, you had some massive sales targets, I'm sure especially in that space. How did you deal with that pressure? It's hard,
0: right? <laughs> First of all, let's not even pretend. Like, when there's pressure, there's pressure. I and mean, there it should be pressure. That's the reality of the job, especially in sales. I have to deliver. The only respite I can give myself is, did I do everything I could? Did I control the controllables? And if I'm not controlling the controllables and the things that I can physically do or my team can do, the assumptions they can make that could be right or they could be wrong. I will put myself under less pressure because I know that we've done what we can. And then the thing about sales is you're a function of so many other things. Your context, whether your buyer likes you or not, whether that customer has decided that this is the year that they're going to decline you and grow somewhere else. And there's certain things I'm like, wow, I need to fight against that or work against that. But I can't control that. And, I, and that's the only way I'm able to do it is to think, right, what can I control? Am I doing everything I can? Am I putting more pressure on myself than others can? Because then no one can put additional pressure on me. But this idea of controlling the controllables is, the, I think, is the best way to be resilient. So in a commercial situation, with all the uncertainty right now, with cost inflation, all these kind of things, it's what, what do I know? What can I control? What can't I control, and how do I deal with that? How do we best prepare for that? But also, all acknowledge that we we haven't got control of it. Yeah, we don't know, and sometimes we hold on to so many things or try to take control of so many things that we don't have the power to control. So I know I I missed towards the the start of the question, but but that's how I do it, and also perspective. There's often there's a book, The Chim Paradox. I don't know if you read it, but I've got through to the end. <laughs> well, the, It's an interesting book, but it kind of says this idea of fear or pressure, understanding or thinking through the worst that could happen and knowing that you can deal with the worst that could happen. And that's the best way to approach stuff. So you kind of play it out and say, If it goes really bad, yeah. That as opposed to say, Oh, it's gonna be all right. No, no, think about it going really bad and say, Right, how would I deal with that? Oh, I can deal with that. And they and they said, said, "Guys, a psychologist." And I thought, "That's that makes a lot of sense." What's the worst that can happen? How do I deal with that? Then I'm going to put myself under less pressure.
1: The worst that could happen is I can get fired yeah. for my job. That means I can't, I can't pay my yeah. bills. I can't provide for my family. Doesn't that put more it pressure on you? Really? What could, what could you then do? So if the worst you could do,
0: so it depends on the choice, right? So first of all, if it's like you're going to swear at your boss or steal some money, like don't do that. But if you're taking a risk, like if you're taking a a calculated business risk where people are on board with you and it goes wrong and you've got mitigating, you know, there are things things that you can do to mitigate contingency plans. And if that goes wrong, be able to say I tried, I can hold my head up. And if I went for another job, I can say proudly, this is what I did. This is where it went wrong. I never make the same mistake twice. And this is the learning. You're right. There, there are things where the stakes are really high. But I think thinking through the, what's the worst? And I've taken a lot of risks in the last couple of years. What's the worst that could happen? Well, I can at least say I tried. <laughs> and be proud of that.
1: Mm. When you think about leading by example, which then means you're going to put yourself out on that forefront, taking risks. Where did you get that from? Oh, easy. That, that knack you seem to have to be able to do things my like My parents,
0: that. easy. I mean, you know, we came to the UK with three bags, like three bags. And, and I think it's like two and a half. I talked to my parents about it and I'm like, how many? I remember two of them. It was three bags. He took a risk. My dad left his job to set up a local community church, which didn't make any sense. We have no support, no backing, no money. And I think um, the other thing I would say is my wife, She's very when I left my job at Mars, um, which was probably six years ago now, crazily, coming up for five, six years, six years ago, she I was like, I'm gonna do this. And she said, I, I yeah, I, I believe
1: in you. I trust I, I I back you that things will be okay. Was it surprise to her when you said I wanna leave and step out of the corporate war? Was it something you've been thinking about for a while? It's something that I'd be thinking about and maybe she'd sensed it as well. And I would say there's a
0: combination of and their parents that have always lived by, by, you know, faith. So when we make a step like this, they're like, I was like, mum, dad, you've done a bit all the stuff you, you know, and I think there's something in, <laughs> something in that um, that I would get that from, particularly my my dad, who is uh, just like that. And I know you've got the same as Russia, but if my wife wasn't supportive of that, there's an additional pressure not to change, to, 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 to maintain a security. And look, I respect people that want to stay, like be secure and stay in that job, but that's just not me, or certainly wasn't me, or, or hasn't been me for the last you know few years. But having that support, so those two things have been really important, and then having this broad belief and conviction in what I want to do. This is what I'm like. This is why I'm I'm doing it. I'm not just jumping into nothing. I just know there's a direction I want to go in, and and if I don't do it now. When am I going to do it? There's always a reason to delay these things.
1: When you decided to to leave Mars, were there colleagues around you who were like, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Because it doesn't make sense. So, I remember my boss, and I get on with, I was played a role in... There was a merger, Mars and Wrigley merged, and I had to hand my... You have to write the role you want. It's a very formal consultation process. And I was like, I can't write... I can't write that I want this role and give it to you just so and knowing that how I feel. And I and yeah we had a c- good conversation and it was like what? <laughs> you know, and the other people that 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 were like that because it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it didn't so you you sort of question him and say actually I'll never do that and you're you're saying goodbye to this and you say goodbye to that well-paid job. You know, it's like things not like things were going badly, but you know, some Yeah, there were people that were surprised. There were other people that maybe were a bit surprised, but also like, yeah, really supportive. There's, there was, it was all support and Mars were fantastic. They still are, they're still big supporters. 33 of them were mentoring on the SORT program this year. 33 like leaders from that company. And if I hadn't have left, these things wouldn't have happened. They just wouldn't have happened. How
1: do we go from sales director Mars to seoul right, Let's let's let's, yeah. let's walk that walk yeah. that
0: journey. Um, so left left Mars, and then I just thought I just want to be useful to mm-hmm. people. I know it sounds really i said so like, I want to just give. I want to just give to people. So I was just I, yeah, I was doing a little bit of consulting. Ended up doing some negotiation training, which was great. But also, but in addition to that, I was doing some non advisory work, and I became a coach. Which is, I say, I became a coach. I've always been a coach, but I got the qualifications, and I was doing that professionally. But that's where we connected, like really. Which I was coaching in the city, coaching in law firms, in like hedge funds, and also coaching back in the consumer goods industry, all senior level stuff. And it was it was great. It was, it was unpredictable. It wasn't you know the standard salary and, and then you know the guaranteed income, nothing like that. But I've got two young girls, eight and four. And it's just great also just to have a flexibility to spend some time with them. And then salt really, and it was all under salts kind of, but George Floyd happens and I barely slept for about a week. And I was just, I, I just, I never watched the video, never watched it, but it affected me so much because it's something, there's just this something, I don't know, broke or yeah, maybe, maybe broke is the right term. And I, and I was just thinking about how much more I should be doing because I realise now, and I sense how stupid that I'm an exception. That there aren't like even at 33 back, like I'm 39 now, there weren't meant any black senior, more black senior people in this industry that I could see, and that's the biggest industry in the UK. So like we've got to do something about that, and I don't know why. I don't believe the industry is. Inherently racist or anything like that, because I've been there. I have had racist experiences from some individuals, like much probably earlier in 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 my career. Avert, but I was like, I've got to do something. <laughs> like I've got, to, how can me with all my privilege, and I use that term intentionally, not do anything about this? So we just started introducing. Like I spoke to um someone I knew in a big organisation, Craft Heinz, Jojo. We organized an event and just started inviting young black people to learn more about this amazing industry. And you've got companies saying, we want more of you because we know that it's lacking diversity. And you've got young black people who are actually harder to corral together than you think to say, guys, you've got jobs. These are brilliant jobs, you know, and we're going to support you and we're going to help you. And it's all free, no strings attached for you. And it just started there. I just said, let's just start doing that. I didn't know what to do, but... I was just learning as we go and just engaging more and more young black people. We ran our first mentoring program, which was really important Shaka, because it's all well and good saying, Oh, let's get young black people into industry. But if the industry just spits them out or as badly ask them to conform, like I learned to do, you're not really, it's not, no, there's no diversity. It's just, there's just a bunch of people conforming to very static cultures, very oppressive cultures in some respects, not oppressive for everyone. And I realized that, I, back to that story, I'm used to that culture. I grew up in it. I've been here since I was six. And I was like, wow, I, I walk into a room, a corporate room, and I'm comfortable. And that's not the case for everybody. So we've set up, and Gareth, my, he's, he's one of my closest friends, and he's probably, uh, I would say he's an authority in this area, and thinking, how do we move beyond tokenistic conversations on, Diversity and putting people on one or two courses to fix this thing to a deeper behavioural change, cultural change that says we need leaders who seek out difference, seek out difference. And if it's you and me, they might say, "Great, I've got two black people in this organisation, but you and me are bit comp- different. And how do I actively seek out what your difference is?" So we have we started a, a, I guess you could call it a a culture. Consultancy with a lot of scientific basis, a lot of like deep science and theory. And Gareth is a occupational psychologist, as well as been an HR director for some of the, you've met him yourself, some of the biggest companies in the world. And we're talking to companies about actually, how do you genuinely change culture so they can actively seek out difference and leaders, encourage leaders of which I am one to bring their difference to the workplace. And you can't do one without the other. Otherwise, I'm just getting young black people into organizations that are not open. They're not open, not truly open. And I've worked in some of them. And what I would say is organizations are very, very receptive to this conversation we're having. And that's where the mentoring program has been amazing. So we get young, a young black person to spend time with a leader over three months. We guide the conversations. And by the end of the connection that they make, the realizations on both sides, and therefore the action they can take that is not triggered by, oh, come on, you guys, you're doing a terrible job. You need to be much more inclusive. You're all racist. Actually, I care about this person who I never would have spent any time with. And I need more of people like him or her in my organization. I want more of them in my organization. That's how you start to make real change. So rise is the sort of early talent, engaging young black talent and getting them jobs. Open is is what I've talked about. This really thinking more deeply about cultural change, leadership, development, and therefore organizational change, which is a deep, deep thing. You're changing behavior. It doesn't just come with one or two courses. And then there's an an accelerator as well, which kind of happened because there are some people don't want to, they want to grow their own organizations. They want to build their own brands. And working with retailers, we've realized that there's a gross underrepresentation of black owned brands in the UK. So if you go to a major retailer, it's probably only all the thousands of brands you can buy. Only two of them are black owned, two to three. And then you can shout, you can shout and say, oh yeah, but you. Guys are racist. Like no, no, no. To get to shelf is hard for everyone. You know, to get a product out there, it is harder for certain groups for a variety of reasons. Whether it's access to funding, whether it's the network. The network you've got access to retailers, which the retailers have been fantastic. Certain ones that we're working with, just know-how, yeah, expertise. You know, family and friends rounds to get that initial you know things off the ground, and we're just you're unearthing the barriers and we're trying to uh, the non-profit is just trying to unpick them and help where we can and a big thing that a lot of these brands have got their stories they're unique they're different so what we've got now is salt and salt is you know getting is that it's it's increasing representation but also changing the context changing the leadership like helping organizations change to embrace that difference as well. And that's what we do.
1: Wow. I think that's why I just, I was like, let (laughs) let Sam talk and and break this down. Because we've had so many conversations um, offline and I've seen the, the journey. And for me, I'm always about going in deep. I hate surface ticking, tokenistic gestures which don't never get anywhere. But by being able to go in deeper and going on multiple layers as well, which is what Salt is doing, it's brilliant. Because not only are you meeting people as as individuals, and that's those coming in and those in those organizations, also meeting the, the mentees and having those those relationships, which is very, very transformative. I know people have been on there and they've been absolutely brilliant. But then it's also that business side of things. How do I say I was a black oh, founder for example how do I get my my business to shelf which is one of the hardest things to do how do I build those connections that don't have those relationships how to understand the marketing the branding strategy all of that that to get another layer that's been created so on whatever way you're trying to approach the problem it's like okay salt's so got the different layers covered and we're going to tap into that and help create that access that understanding that education that network and give that to people. And I know it's not been easy. And it's been a, a selfless, costly <laughs> journey sometimes as well. But it's just been absolutely great just seeing the impact it's actually been having on, on people and businesses yeah, in general it's, as
0: well. It's, it's really... It's messy, right? And I think everyone has to accept that what we're trying to do here, and Shopee, when I listen to what you post or watch what you post and you're, you're running videos as well and all those kind of things, yeah, <laughs> the things that you say, um, we have to acknowledge that to put this into action, it's messy. So it's not, yes, we know there is underrepresentation. Yes, we know there's inequality, but to unpick that, it's a messy affair and that's why we set it up as a non-profit because i was like i'm not going to make any money for this. this is this is about understanding meeting people where they're at including the people that run the systems and i'll have to say it there's not enough when we're shouting at these leaders to change Do you think that actually works like do we think that just like shouting at someone and telling them to change particularly people who like me i don't like getting shouted at but if you want to engage people and connect with people we need to take the time to meet every single person that we're trying to change where they're at and understand you're a coach I'm a coach the journey they need to go on if they want to go on that journey so people often ask oh where's it going to go or what are your aims for this I'm like well no, maybe it was the young black person that we connected with last week maybe it's the the company or the brand or the young black lady that we're going to connect with in a week's time Maybe that's why it exists, but there's always going to be something that we know that's how we're going to run it to say we don't know if we're having the impact yet, but we're going to keep trying because this is the belief that we've got that we want to encourage people to bring their difference. And we want to encourage organizations to be open to difference as well. And we do that every day. And I need to do that in my job. My other job, we've talked a lot about salt, but I love, you know, the company I work for at Innocent.
1: I need to live that out at Innocent as well. What made you go back into into the world (laughs) (laughs) i had
0: my boss was very uh nick very persistent but it it wasn't part of the plan and obviously i've worked for the biggest companies and yes there have been offers and approaches to go back but i was like no no this is what i'm supposed to be doing this felt different though for a couple of reasons Innocent is still—it's only twenty years old. As 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 far as sort of brands go, I think it's still young. I say it's still young. It's it's a purpose-led organisation. I can say that. Coming, like, you know, there's so many organisations that talk about it, but it's kind of like the slide that you put at the front or the end, just to make everything look a bit nicer. It doesn't work like that, innocent. It's it's in our it's in our blood. It's in our DNA so much so that it's really hard to articulate but people love working there and they know it's purposeful and we just do so much great stuff and the stuff that we're still working on because no one's perfect. And I love that about the organization and I'm still meeting people. And the other thing was this whole idea of you can't be what you can't see. So I said, look, I'm still going to run salt. I'm still running salt with half my time. It's, it's sort of like salt is something that I genuinely believe It's something I believe in. It's what I bring to work every day there aren't any black how many other black mds are there (laughs) and if i'm speaking to young black people or underrepresented people or frankly so maybe women who are doing part-time are innocent have said actually we're going to show that someone can run an organization with the right support with the right team around them they don't have to do it full-time Well, what does that say for a lady who might decide that after having a a that it's possible it's possible to do it And they're much more capable people than me that will be able to do it, no doubt. It's an opportunity to help I guess create an environment that I'll be passionate about. I want people to really want to come into work, to be engaged, to feel like they can bring their difference. They can bring their opinions. I've got, I want to live that out. And I spoke long and hard to Gareth, who is co-founder at salt and, and again, a close friend and, and Michelle who works at the, And they're like, yeah, yeah. And obviously my wife has said, how are you going to fit it all in? Was the big question. And we're still <laughs> working that out. But that's why I, that's why I did it. It wouldn't have just been, if someone, if it was any other company or any other company, no, No, it wouldn't, I I wouldn't have done it, but I think I, I, you know, it's again, early days, just over three months. It's a fantastic company, again, very supportive of sorts. And I believe in what it's trying to do. And I'm learning every day, you know, I'm not eating as much steak. I'm realizing more about, you know, I'm thinking about the planet a bit more. I don't drive a three liter diesel anymore because I was like, wow, I'm learning, making positive changes. And that's what Innocent is about. It's encouraging the world to make some of those positive changes through this. We call about these dreams that we have for the world, whether it's people, whether it's planet, society. Yeah, it's genuine. It's not. Good. It's like this always all we talk about. We want to sell the dreams. We want to show that we can mix profit. We can we can deliver profit and purpose. And we and we're a large organization growing, but wants to be able to do that. So that's why. And that that's why. So. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. But it's
1: been a really good start. A well, question that comes to mind is, how are you balancing it all? I know you say you're, you're still figuring yeah. it out, but I'm just thinking, like, between Soul, this, and there are other things you do outside of this as well. And, like I said, you get your wife, you go to your two, beautiful girls there. How do you find time for yourself? Good question and for them? Uh, and my wife works full- time as well, by the way, so
0: she's <laughs> so we're um it's a good question. i haven't I can't say that i've um I can't say that i've i I, I get this right. I would say that mentally, I try not to think that I'm t- you know taking one hat off and putting the other one on. I'm like, no, this is me, you're going to get what you're going to get, and this is how I behave in all situations. So I connect with people, connect deeply with people. I encourage them, support them, motivate them to do greater, better things. That's what I do. I'm a coach. So first of all, across all of those things, I'm a coach. That's what I do. So in my mind, I need to manage it that way. Time, yeah, I'm addicted to my phone. I have to give my phone to my wife sometimes, and um, or my kids. have started have started to say, "Daddy, you know, get off your you know get off your phone." Or we have periods of time Sunday. Pajama party, we call it, where they have an early bath and watch a film, like My Little Pony, (laughs) and stuff like that. And yeah, it's a stereotype, but they're the ones that want to watch it. But I'm still trying to get it right. It's hard to stop thinking. That's the thing. I'm always thinking about it because it's purpose-led. Everything's purpose-led. Are we having the impact we want? Have we got the right funding you know always thinking about how we're going to get enough money into you know i guess pay salaries and keep his growing because it's growing but you as you know being in your finance background you can be growing and growing and growing doesn't mean your cash flow is quite in the same place but i'm still working on it often have a check-in maintain date nights with my wife we haven't had it we've been away a little bit but you know and, and talk about these things and keep things in check you've got to have the right people around you as well getting the support whether
1: it's from Gareth or, or people you can call close friends, that's really important as well. There is a beauty in the imperfection of the answer you just gave, which is, I don't have this feel well figured out, but... But who I'm does? still trying to figure out. I'm still trying to create that time for myself and for my fam. But a lot of times people say that like, no. I need to have it all figured out before you I take a do. move. I need to have it all figured out before... That's how a lot of times a lot, a lot time people operate though. was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to take that time because of my... But actually it's like, no, I'm... We are imperfect people and learning how to be works in progress and not letting that hinder us is one of the hardest lessons that you find it as a coach that a lot I, of people well, struggle with. See, I
0: think if everyone just said we haven't all got figured we haven't got it all figured out and we're all flawed, yeah. That's not a bad place to start a conversation on so many things that we should start a conversation on. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to have it all figured out. I'm very unlikely to to write a um. What do you call those books? Self help books.
1: How to get the perfect what balance. I can,
0: what, I can talk about it. I can talk about it and say here's here's some templates and I can refer you to things and I can. I'm talking about it on Wednesday actually. I'm actually, I'm actually running a call. Like there's a seminar called "Getting the Balance Right" that I'm running on Wednesday, but. I can talk about it, but it's okay to say I need to follow my own advice. This is the best practice. So I haven't got it all figured out Mm. at all, but I am thankful for the direction things are going in. There's too many people on TV. You watch these conversations on all kinds of subjects, where there's two people who are trying to show that they've got it all figured out and neither group have got it all figured out. So now I haven't got it all figured out. And I think balance is one thing. Uh, There's so many things within, certainly within sort that I'm thinking about all the time because we're only a year old and the impact is great. But then you realize how much more people you could
1: help, but you think, how do you even fund that or support that? I haven't got that figured out. you mentioned your wife a number of times in, in this conversation, and I guess I'm interested to learn what have been some of the, I guess the biggest life lessons you have learned through
0: your marriage. A good question. They said, "Wow, I didn't know he was going to go here." <laughs> um, there are some important ones, and I, I, I'll make it light-hearted. But you know, I'm an ext- I'm an extrovert, relatively extroverted. My wife's an introvert. You know, there are times where I'll say I'm going out, and then I sh- the plans change, and I don't go out. And she's like, "What? I, I do to- <laughs> She doesn't even want me at the house. She's like, "I want. I had time to, to myself." Like I was like, "What? I can't believe you've got the hunt with me because." I'm not going out. I thought you might want to spend some time with me, and and you, you kind of you, you you realize over time how different you are, and and again, it's re- like respecting that. And I think one my, of my life lessons would be really taking time to wonder. And I'm still doing those days, like to understand her and go out of my way to put her first in in, in memory res- respects which is it's almost like so what, what would you want to do so how like, how do i put you first because she does and she does it the other way around this idea, this mutual sacrifice like sacrifice is something that i really and and i really value that in her but i think one of the things i would say one of the examples would be the introvert extrovert thing that i'm like why don't you tell me about that? all these big things that have happened and then that I'll find out later on, like, but I'll tell you these things straight away, but it's actually more because she just doesn't, we communicate in very different ways. So I, I, it's, it's, it's the communication. I still get used to it. Empathy, really important. Not trying to fix stuff the whole time. And the one bit of advice I give to everyone, particularly married, date nights, go on your date nights. And even if you don't go out, have a date night in, but you two rules, don't talk about the kids and don't make any plans we don't always stick to them like i said i'm giving you the the self-help book yeah i'm not saying we're perfect i would say those are things i've learned and also just saying thank you because she accommodates a lot because like you said i do a lot she works full-time you know she's a head of insider still at nestle and she's busy as well but she's incredibly
1: accommodating which i'm very grateful for guess my my last question would be how do you define
0: leadership Mm, it's a good question my just off that i'm trying not to use like a textbook i'm not i won't use a textbook answer so connecting to a group of people and engaging them creating a common directional goal and facilitating the achievement of it playing your role within that i think for me that's what leadership is leadership is not saying to people, this is how it's going to be. I think people choose to be led for a variety of reasons. And I think true leadership is when people choose you to take them somewhere. And that is probably one of the most humbling things that can ever happen. And if they choose you to, to take them somewhere or achieve something for themselves or maybe for the collective,
1: those are the people that I think, wow, that's great leadership That's a great description. And the one makes it even more apt is the fact that that's actually something that you're also muddling. And I love that authenticity in there where people can actually see that. The way you've just described it is actually what you're doing with salt. That's, that's, That's why it was created in the first place, to take and create that. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation to give people the reality of, I don't know of any black MDs, especially in that sector, So, you being in there is very, very important from a representation perspective, but also modeling what is possible while still doing that part-time, what you're doing with salt, which is absolutely brilliant. And... All the links for SALT will be in the show notes as well, so people can get involved. Organizations can sponsor and get yeah, some please. real we need some sponsorship. <laughs> so that's all that's what we're here. Get some real change in the organization, but also actually a real change in their lives. I think one of the things that you touched on was not just how much has made a difference to even the mentees in the in the, in the mentorship program. But the mentors themselves have been transformed and been changed and learned so much and grown so much and been able to give back in new and see new ways of operating with their people. That's why that relationship and that three month program is so, so special. So really appreciate everything that you shared today, Sam. Uh, thank you.
0: Shope, thank you very much for having me. It's been really nice just talking to you. This is the longest conversation we've had.
1: Like for, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person one day. <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna make, we're gonna make that happen in a couple of weeks, don't Definitely. we? Definitely. We're gonna, we're gonna be, see it'll each other. Be really good. Thank nah. you so much. Huh? It's been an absolute pleasure, and this is everyday leadership.